Hello and welcome to Bend the Knee, a song of Ice and Fire podcast. I am Sir Matt, the Bud Knight. And I am Sir Ezra the Watchful. Welcome to our Song of Ice and Fire book club. Today we're into Daenerys 8 of A Game of Thrones. And in the Maester study, we, we will be discussing Ashai by the Shadowlands. So. Yes, yes. Uh, Sir Ezra's been doing some research on that because uh, here we are again, man. Another Daenerys chapter. At least this time... <laughs> We've had it's yeah. it's you know it, it's not it's like hey we were just we were just in a Daenerys chapter okay uh, I mean my thing is I was I was wondering if Sir Matt was just gonna call me out on the show for not playing <laughs> I was like would anybody notice if we just skipped the Danny chapter but this is a wow. good one I mean of all the Danny it chapters is. it's it is decent so yeah it, it 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 is well you know and that's what you and I said it's not necessarily that Danny's chapters are bad it's just that. They're so spread out. Um, I think in the first book, let me pull this up here on the wiki so I can just see. But I'm pretty sure in the first book, there's a period of time where you go through like 10 chapters uh, without a Daenerys chapter. Yeah, it's um, so you have chapter 36, Daenerys 4. Mm -hmm. Your next Daenerys chapter, Danny 5, is chapter 46. Wow. So it's like by the time by the time you come back. It's like, whoa, man, you know, what's going on? And so yeah. especially because she, she's just so far away um, and everything else is happening so much in King's Landing and stuff like that, that it's it's hard because, you know, like Sansa doesn't have that many chapters in this book. She only has, uh, what, six chapters. Mm -hmm. uh, Arya only has five, but it's because characters appear, she, you know, Arya and Sansa are in almost all of the Eddard chapters. Sure. So. Or Sansa's in the Arya chapters or vice versa. And so with Danny, especially in this first book, she just kind of gets lost, uh, especially there in the middle of the book. So, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. I mean, and uh, I mean, I actually like Danny's character. I just like mm -hmm. her character when more of our other characters show up around her that we know. So um, mm -hmm. and I like Jorah, you know, so that's that's great. But yeah, I just she's a she's a much easier read if you do. A POV Danny read mm -hmm. um, because, you know, as as we've just said, it's, it's not even really until about what is it, a storm of swords when you find when when some people, some other characters start to show up into her kind of uh, into her kind of character arc. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, actually, she's going to go through in the next book. I mean, good God, there's going to be a, a drag. For a little while, um, which mm -hmm. is which is going to be crazy, but yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, no, but her her arc also speeds up quite a bit in uh, in Clash of Kings, which we're only like nine chapters away from, so mm -hmm. it is uh, getting ever closer, getting ever more excited. Um, so, all right, well, uh, head on over to the little small council here, Sir Ezra. How are we doing today, man? Uh, doing good. I actually have a, a massive headache, though. I will say that. Okay. So if I sound a little uh, like out there, it's just ma I mean, literally feels like somebody took an axe and just went right on the top of the head. I don't know. Right. Dude. It's crazy. I think it's probably because I'm trying to like yesterday. I only drank water and I had like one glass of milk. So like, you know, Sir Matt knows I, I, I live off of coffee and like. You know, I go mm -hmm. get my cold brew. I'm trying to cut that out, dude, because it almost killed me on Friday. Remember that? I think yeah. I, <laughs> I think it was you Thursday. Were... Whatever day we were recording, yeah. you were like, man, I think it was Thursday. It was Thursday, and yeah. And you, you were talking about, man, I just don't feel good. And I'm like, well, yeah. what's going on? You're like, I don't know. I had like 12 cups of coffee. <laughs> it's like, well, I, okay, man. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, dude. So <clears throat> I think uh, I know. Sir Ezra has a uh, he has kind of a caffeine addiction. It's, yeah, it's a it's a, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He, so unfortunately, I try to tell him to calm down on the coke. Right. He drinks a lot. Drinks a lot of Coca Cola, which in the first place is just entirely incorrect because everyone knows you should drink, be drinking Pepsi because that is by far the superior the superior yeah. cola. I don't know, man. Um, I, hey, I am a I am a true and true house Pepsi supporter. Okay? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm house Coke for sure because yeah. Let us let us know in the in, somebody make a poll. Are you house Coke or house Pepsi? Yeah. Let, so. let me just tell folks real quick though. I I, I am a pop connoisseur. Uh, in case mm-hmm. people didn't know, and when I work, and we're from Ohio and we call it pop. Yeah, yeah, okay. pop. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so here's tell me if this isn't true. Um, when I worked at the Olive Garden, people would ask for you know Pepsi, and I'd say, well, we serve Coke. They're like, wow, man, that sucks. I really wanted the Pepsi. I'm like, well, we do have a couple that have been sitting out for about three hours. And have gone completely flat. If you would like one of those, I more than wow. happy to get, bring that out. So, <laughs> but uh, so yeah, you people just let me know. Let me know. Yeah. If, uh, wow. No, man. I'm telling you, on a there's just that you drink that ice cold crisp Pepsi. It's the way to go. Oh boy. Okay. All right. So let us know. Make a poll. It's an argument that Sir Ezra and I go back and forth on all of all the, the time. time. All the time. Yeah. But nonetheless, yeah, cutting down on the cutting down on the caffeine is is it's it's always good. It's a nece- it's it's yeah necessary. So, um, how you doing out there on the West Coast? Hey man, I am good. I have been uh, I've just been working out a lot. Let's go lately. Let's go. I've been really been really trying to cut down. About I lost about seven pounds last month, so I'm cool. feeling pretty pretty good, pretty confident uh, about that. So. That's kind of it. Get in my office, uh, put back together. Have one last thing. We have an electrician coming. Uh, he's going to do some some work on some like the wiring and install a new outlet. So once that's done, then I can really start to piece the uh, my office back together. I have cords everywhere. I mean, you know, it looks like. I mean, uh, yeah, it looks like it looks like a web in here or something. Jeez. So yeah. <laughs> well, that'll be nice. Let's get that yeah. well done. Uh, let's see. Some other things we have going on. We just got, we finally got back uh, some sticker ideas from our artists. So those will be coming oh, yeah. uh, very, those will be coming soon. I think uh, we really kind of like uh, what they did there. So we have those coming. Stay tuned. They are coming. We're just, uh, you know, had to work with artists and, you know, they need their creative space. Yeah, or, they need their, you know, their time. Or what I, what, and, yeah. I don't know if you told folks we lost our artist. We don't know. I know. Our other artists don't know what happened. If he died? I mean, I honestly think he may have, like, honestly passed away. I don't know. I feel like. Really I don't bad. know, I, man. It's really it's, unfortunate. Yeah. So, anyways. Yeah. So, all right. Well, uh, any other any other kind of news, Sir Ezra, we need to share anything? Uh, nothing. Just don't forget to check out the Discord. You know, we've got um, some cool stuff going on there. Uh, Lord Adam Parker. Uh, and Maglum have been working on the doc for uh, our patrons, just like house sigils, um, you know, names and titles and walk up, you know, all cool, all sorts of cool stuff. So uh, check that out. Reach out to those guys if you want to be a part of that. And uh, yeah, I think we even talked about posting it or putting a link to it in the Discord underneath like house stories. So we're kind of we have origin mm-hmm. stories like a channel in there where people kind of sharing their where they're from and, you know. People are thinking about putting it on a map and mapping out where where everybody in our little book club, 
you know happens to live in this in, in Westeros and Essos. It's pretty cool. So yeah. yeah. Um, one thing I will say, uh, we did we did release some more Patreon content. Uh, actually, last week, man, we released a lot of stuff. We did the Q and A, which I think you and I had a ton of fun with. We hope yeah. you guys really enjoyed that. Uh, we did the uh, pose of the Raven's Nest that we did a couple weeks ago, and then we released on Patreon our next show watcher's guide to the books where we started talking a little bit more about Heron Hall, the night of the laughing tree, Howland Reed. And then we did part two of our huge, uh, patron our huge four part Patreon Heron Hall series that we're, we're, we're working on. So, and this was a lot about, um, why didn't Rhaegar call a council mm-hmm. if that, if, yeah. if he was, if the whole kind of purpose was to call this council, why, why didn't he do it? So, um that's kind of what it was about and i think you and i had a ton of fun doing that so yeah yep absolutely um, um the we're, and actually i think we have a musing coming up uh, probably early this next week for for folks too so stay tuned for that as well mm-hmm. yeah but i kind of want to have a little impromptu musing right now if that's okay sir Ezra, yeah because yeah. i've been fired up about it and it's just some, i mean it's it's just kind of a teaser maybe we'll I'm talk down. about more in discussion but okay so one of the things i like was reading a dance of dragons this week yeah i've been uh diving back into like some some deep reading of the books and i was reading kind of the john connington one of the the, the griffin chapter where john connington retakes griffin's roost yes and I started thinking more about, you know, we had this discussion. I can't remember if it was on Patreon or on the main show a couple weeks ago. And we were talking about how um, if we look at what the show has told us, how do we get certain characters to certain arcs to make sure they fit that? And one of the characters we talked about was, you know, John Connington. And we were talking about... um, Okay, well, let's say that, uh, you know, in, in the show, it's Jorah Mormont who gets grayscale, and that, and then we're saying, well, in the books, it's John Connington. So yep. is it going to be John Connington at the Citadel in the books, you know, and maybe he's the one who kind of reveals to Sam all this stuff about Rhaegar, and then maybe that's how Sam tells John mm-hmm. who his parents, who his parents really are, if and it's not, uh, has a lot less to do with um it just goes down differently it doesn't he doesn't find it in an old book or whatever yeah yeah and so one of the things i was thinking about and another thing about you know we've been talking about well you can't just move this piece here and have it all fit right like if bran is going to be king and sansa is going to be queen of the north how do we get there Mm -hmm. and so one of the characters i was thinking about is harry strickland Okay. In the show, he kind of shows up and he's pretty much useless, right? I mean, he shows up, he doesn't even bring the elephants, and yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> and I mean that he gets wiped out in like two seconds. Yeah. So you know, one of the things I was thinking about, um, and something I've seen a lot of people talking about on Twitter, uh, some other um, Game of Thrones like podcasts and YouTubers. Uh, one of the ones I I kind of specifically remember was Gray Area was saying this. I haven't really watched a lot of her channel, but I do follow her on Twitter, and so. Um, yeah. I don't know if she did a video or not. I just remember seeing a tagline. And so people were talking about what if actually um, some of the things we saw in season eight are flipped around. And it was kind of this idea that it makes Danny just kind of blowing up the city after hearing the bells, which we're going to talk about a little bit today. Yep. Um, they were arguing that doesn't necessarily make much sense. And it would make way more sense if it was Cersei blowing up the city after hearing the bells because Cersei gets the walk of shame 
and she's already in the show blown up the sept of Baylor to totally try and kill off the faith. Uh-huh. And so they're saying, well, what if it's kind of flipped around? What if Cersei has to leave King's Landing and say comes back and maybe she actually ends up doing some sort of marriage alliance? This is kind of my own thought in her, in, introduced here, too. Yeah. Maybe she has to marry, say, John Connington, because in his chapter he talks about maybe possibly marrying somebody to increase their power. Yeah. Um, or young Griff or something like that. And so that was just uh, something I was like, oh, you know, I could I could kind of see that kind of kind of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like I like that. I, that was a couple weeks ago. We talked about where how do we get people? How do we set up these events and looking at winds of winter? Really, what do we think is going to happen? Um, you know, on that note with John Connington and him possibly being the guy who ends up at the Citadel and gets his grayscale like, removed or whatever. How does he? So for him to go there, I almost feel like he is. Is does he just travel there because like he needs the assistance, or does he have to go there? Is he? Um, he's not taken <clears throat> captive, or or he's not he's not a prisoner, is he? I mean, is it something that maybe Young Griff right. would just say, "I want you to go heal yourself, so you can be of more maybe ser- it's, service to me." Maybe it's maybe it's just like Danny, yeah, who will who you know who will see because that's what Danny tells Jorah Mormont. And uh, it's like season six or yeah, season. Yeah, it'd be like yeah. season six, I think is one or at the end of maybe it's like the end of season five and then he gets healed in season six. I, I'm not remembering it exactly. But um, yeah, it was just something I was kind of thinking about because I was listening to the Danny chapter this week to get ready for this. And then I was going back through Dance of Dragons and I was kind of making some connections because uh, I was like, you know, I just want to dive into some of these other characters. Because a lot of the chapters I kind of skip over a lot of times are the ones that aren't our main characters. You know, so stuff with mm-hmm. like the great, great, you know, like Balon Great or not Balon, but uh, Victorian Greyjoy and, right. uh, you know, like young John Connington. So I was just I was just kind of listening to both of those in tandem and thinking about as we've been doing the show watchers guide to the book series on Patreon. It was all just kind of piecing together in my head. And I was like, yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. How do we get there? How do we how do we make this happen? How, or what what has the show shown us mm-hmm. that we're gonna have to swap some characters around in the books to see? Yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah, that's great. I mean, one more thing I'll, I'll mention too, just for folks to kind of track down, because uh, I've often thought that there's a lot of um, man, there's so much like plotting that it, that had taken place for years with the whole young Griff thing that we don't really know. Like like who's been behind all of it, or we we kind of do, but we we still don't know quite the extent of it. An example of that is, um, let's see, I think it's let me make sure here. One of uh, um, young Griff's like companions that he's with, yeah, is is uh, Raleigh Duckfield, who his name is Duck, and he's a knight serving with with young Griff. Well, he happened to be the former squire to Harry Strickland. So of the Golden Company. So you've got this connection already uh, to the Golden Company through Duck. And it's just, so it's kind of crazy. It's been there for a long time. And it's like they've been scheming and setting this up for who knows how long. So I just think it's really interesting. There's a lot there. And uh, this is going to be a powerful force that shows up in Westeros, uh, that has showed up in Westeros. And uh, we know, major spoilers, well, I won't mention it exactly, but like in Winds of Winter, um, we do have a chapter that discusses really their success in uh, mm-hmm. in this campaign. So mm-hmm. they're a big big deal. But yeah, I'm down to keep talking about that later and and uh, 
see how far we can tease that out. Yeah. So, all right. It was just kind of an impromptu. Yeah. Thing I, I was I was thinking about, and I was like, hey, I just want to. I, I got to ask. I asked Sir Ezra on air about this. I love so, it. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, do we want to head over a little bit to the Maester's study? Yeah. Yeah. So, um. Yeah, we're in the Maester's study now, and and uh, as I was reading this chapter, I was thinking about Ashai and just how it keeps kind of popping up. And you know, at one point, uh, Jorah even suggested that they go there. It's a port that they believe they can get um, a ship and sail back to pentos i think is what he says and Mm -hmm. what's nuts about that by the way (laughs) go look at a map let me pull one up here real quick and yeah it's just there's i feel like there's so many other ports i don't know how far over they are you know like like when you look at a map i was trying to figure out where danny uh is in this in this chapter because to go to a shy or whatever to be recommended to go there that that's just a long ways Right, Sir Madam? I feel like that's just across Oh, the... yeah. Ab- yeah, absolutely. It's a long way. Yeah, aren't there other ports along the way mm-hmm. is what I was trying to, to figure out. And why wouldn't we um, go there? But if they're over in the Dothraki Sea or they're they're even further um, maybe east than, than I realize, uh, maybe it would make more sense. And then they could board a ship and then they could sail back uh, over to Pentos, which is what they want to do. But there's a bunch of southern ports that I feel like they could have gone to. So it makes me wonder a little bit about Jorah and why he would maybe want her to go to a shy. Is there something else going on? But um, that's just a random thought. So now in um, just looking at a shy and what is it? It's this like mysterious port city. Uh, it's located in the far southeast of Essos uh, where the Ash River meets the Jade Sea. So um, yeah, at its eastern exit. So it's surrounded by all sorts of mystery. We've got characters like, um, you know, Mel- Melisandre we know has traveled there. Um, we've got rumors of Marwyn being there. We've got rumors that, uh, well, uh, Mira Mazdur says that she uh, went there and learned some of their shadow binding techniques and some of their um, blood magic, I guess, right? So mm-hmm. it's just a kind of a a weird city. We don't know much about it. It's said that there are no children that live there. Um, so you think about blood sacrifices and just maybe these people that live there might be sacrificing children uh, to preserve their age or their wisdom or their knowledge or, you know, doing certain rituals and stuff. It's, we just don't know. Um, so now another thing that's interesting about this, I found a, of <laughs> a five part, like Reddit, you know, um, theory, I guess, if you will post to just about what is going on, uh, in, in, in a shy and how it ties back to this, um, like the black stones, the black stone structures, which I think people, there's a bunch of YouTubers who have done, you know, theories on this, the sea stone chair, uh, the foundation of the, of the high tower, uh, in old mm-hmm. town. We've talked about, th- we've talked about that as well. And yeah. when we, we did the, I think they talk about it in like the dawn age in a world of ice and fire and, mm-hmm. and just ha- this chair appeared to have been there for much, much longer. Right. Right. And, and the, the, What's interesting about it is a lot of people believe it's the outskirts of this ancient empire, really, if you will. So um, the, the five forts and a shy, if you will. So the five forts are these different, like Toad, Toad Row Road is another one. Uh, let me find the other one here real quick. Uh, the five forts. So this is the eastern edge of the known world between the plains of um, 
Yogasnai and Gr the Gray Waste, just south of the Bleeding Sea. It's actually, if you look on the map, it's like it's just north of where Ashai is, and it's these fortresses. It looks like, and their their structure is this fused stone. It's this oily black stone, and people have been theorizing or wondering how all of these are connected. You know, was it a part of some ancient uh, empire, if you will? So it was some civilization that that built these these great uh, things, and so it's well before uh, the Valyrian Empire. And they actually, people believe that that whatever this civilization was, that they also could ride dragons. That they may have been the original dragon riders. And uh, some people talked about Dragon Binder uh, being, you know, having some properties or having a strong um, relationship or ties back to Ashai, and it, be, it looking like that it may be tied to that culture, that, that civilization. So it's just kind of a big deal. And I don't ever really talk a whole lot about it because none of our characters really go there. We, we, we talk about going mm -hmm. there and we talk about Quaith, um, who comes from there wearing this mask and stuff. And it's real mysterious. Some people believe there's a connection to the deep ones, right? So there's actually a, a, fu a funny theory I found, which is that, um, Ashai is uh, connected to the deep ones and that Ashai is also, um, the opposite of Harrenhal, and that there's some parallel between those two. I could believe it. Yeah, which is which is interesting. Just that it may be, you know, um, some type of. Not that it's the same structure, but it may be something close. I don't know. So there are so many theories, though. I just didn't realize that people had done this much work on Reddit. Uh, you know, with with Ashai. So really interesting. But if you if you want to track down those structures and look at look at all that, I think that's great. I think that. The important part for this chapter is just that there's a lot going on there in blood magic. Like that's seemingly where people they they the spell work and if if magic has retreated from Westeros and it's not really there and it's sort of creeping back, it, it would go as far back as as to like a Shai. and then from there it seems like it's now with the with the Red Comet coming and everything that's happening, it's like moving and spreading back out across the land. Uh, it's this re re resurgence of of magic, and it seems to be coming from that area. And you know, Danny's a part of that, getting caught up in that in that wave. So yeah, I won't go into any, any of the theories because we could do a whole. We've actually thought about maybe going on our our uh, Patreon and doing some uh, s some theories there. Because you know, for example, one of them is that they are feeding the army of the undead, and that they are somehow connected to the others, and mm -hmm. all this stuff. So I've seen a th I've seen a theory that Ashai, because that's right where the map essentially kind of stops, is actually just like maybe there's like a mountain region or something, but it it actually loops around. So people have said like there isn't an unknown continent uh, to the west of Westeros. It just loops back around, and it, so it's actually this just that is the whole planet is just Essos and Westeros. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th we had mentioned in Fire and Blood, Alyssa Farman had taken the sun chaser and supposedly makes it makes it all the way goes west of westeros and actually ends up landing on air quote esso so near near ashai and lives there so it may still be if, if it is true that melisandre and the, the people the folk who uh end up getting involved there find ways to preserve their life and extend it that maybe she is still alive so that's that's a theory that's out there as well but anyways, it keeps it keeps cropping up. It's in it's in all of our books, and actually, there's there's major references to it in A Clash of Kings, A Storm of Swords, A Feast for Crows, and A Dance of Dragons. So I can only imagine that we're going to get more 
uh, references or nods to it in Winds of Winter. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I think that's it. I just wanted to kind of mention it, and we can talk more about it later. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting interesting spot. The people there are, are really interesting. The, the Dothraki believe that the, that the Ashai are spawn of shadow, right? And they hold them in contempt and fear. So, yeah, I'll go and read a little bit more here. There are no children in Ashai. All who dwell there wear masks or veils and often walk alone or ride um, in these ebony, what are they called? Palanqu- palanquil, palanquins, something like yeah. that. Whatever yep. those things are. Big, yeah. And um, so they hide behind dark curtains. What else here? Uh, only the shadow binders of Ashai dare to travel upriver and even... They fear to trade before the door, yeah, of the corpse city. So it's like this closed-off city where you know. So we've talked about the Shadowlands. It's near this um, this area where the Shadowbinders are the only ones who dare to approach the city. So we really don't even know much about what's inside the city, you know. But mm-hmm. okay, I think that's it. We could go on and on, but I think that's we'll leave it there for now. Yeah, yeah. I, it's. I mean, it's something that you think we'll learn a little bit more about because I hope we get some more backstory on Melisandra or you know other red priestesses in Winds of Winter. Uh, just cause I think I think it would be cool to get some more of her backstory because we don't really get that in the show. Uh, you know, her ending is she shows up and dies. So yeah, I mean, she's also like the MVP of the Battle of Winterfell, but. I, <laughs> Yeah, you know what I was just thinking too. If if this goes back as far as to like the Dawn Age and stuff, that we may actually, in the prequel show, right, get references to this land. Oh, right? I I think there's gonna be a ton of world building in the prequel show, a ton of world building. Yeah. So, anyways, that would be kind of cool to see, maybe learn more about these people or learn about these this ancient um, empire or civilization that that uh, yeah, and why it fell. What happened to it? Was was there another long night before the long night that we talk about? You know, so mm-hmm. it's possible. Yeah. All righty. Let's move on over here into the uh, into the chapter. Um, and anytime maybe okay. that that Ashai is brought up, we'll br- we'll go back and we'll learn some more. And, and actually, our characters tell us more and more. That's that's really uh, what's key is to listen how they how they characterize the city. Yeah. I mean, there may be dragons there. You know, we've that's rumored. Thing. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, it's rumored. So. Um, okay, well, this week we are uh, at Daenerys 8. Last week we were uh, covering Catelyn 10, where Rob Stark had managed to lead his host uh, to River Run without detection. Now Catelyn wants, uh, waits with her guard as her son sends his host to ambush Sir, Sir Jamie Lannister. Uh, ended up capturing him there. So the last time we were with Daenerys, Cal Drogo had defeated another Kalisar capturing a town with many captives. Danny intervenes when she sees Dothraki warriors raping the women. When she finds Drogo, Daenerys is concerned about her husband's wounds and calls for the healers. Uh, Mary Mazder, one of the women she has rescued, speaks up that she is a healer, and Drogo alets, uh, agrees to let her tend his wounds in her temple. This week, Cal Drogo has fell off his horse. Danny orders the Kalisar to halt and calls for Miri Master. The God's Wife declares that only blood magic can save Drogo. As the rite is being performed, Drogo's blood riders attempt to intervene. A fight ensues in which Sir Jorah Morma is injured, and all of Drogo's blood riders are killed. 
Daenerys starts to hemorrhage, and Ser Jorah carries her into Drogo's tent. Dang. <laughs> yeah, things are about to, things are picking up for uh, for Daenerys here. Um, let me pull up her chapter here. Uh, The flies circled Caldrogo slowly, their wings buzzing a low thrum at the edge of uh, hearing that that filled Danny with dread. The sun was high and pitless. Heat shimmered in waves off the stony outcrops of low hills. A thin finger of sweat trickled slowly between Danny's swollen breasts. The only sounds were the steady clop of their horses' hooves and the rhythmic tingle of the bells in Drogo's hair. Ding. Every time we say bells, I'm about to make a mm-hmm. <laughs> make a note. And the distant voices behind them. Danny watched the flies. They were as large as bees, gross, purplish, gl- uh, glistening. The Dothraki called them blood flies. They lived in marshes and stagnant pools, sucked blood from man and horse alike, and laid their eggs in the dead and dying. Drogo hated them. Whenever one would come near him, his hand would shoot out quick as a striking snake to close around it. She had never seen him miss Mm. until today. So, jeez, he's not doing well. He is not. To state the obvious. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, And he's got to stay in his saddle because if he, you know, it's it's key that that he keeps riding. That's his, uh, that represents that he's, Still in command, he's still in charge. Um, mm-hmm. If he can't mount his horse, he's, he's a dead man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there's a there's a line later, and that that's essentially what this chapter is about: is that he's weak and he's and uh, Danny is now put in this position where if he dies, everything is everything is gonna fall apart. And Jorah Mormont has to explain this to Danny that. They won't follow you. They're they're not they're not bound to follow you. They're they're bound to actually take you somewhere else. And and you know to they they respect power. There's a line I'm gonna skip just kind of not in the middle of this chapter because it's a rather long chapter, um, but uh, but just a couple pages here. Uh, Princess, hear me. The Dothraki will not follow a suckling babe. Drogo's strength was what they bowed to, and only that. When he is gone, uh, Jaco and Pono and the other cause will fight for his place, and this Kalisar will, um, you know, devour itself. The winner will want no more rivals. Mm. Yeah. Well, which means that um, it, it's just crazy to think too that like. Really, she she needs for, for her son to, to to live. Her husband has to live. He has mm-hmm. to for him to grow strong and things like that and be raised in this in this Kalisar. It's it, without without his father, whatever. It, there's there, there's no. It's not like they're gonna send um, you know Danny back to the sacred city and then let his son live and possibly challenge them later on as he as he grows older and stronger. They they want fewer and fewer. Uh, rivals so Mm -hmm. i wonder how many son how many sons of calls still exist yeah i wonder i want because they don't we we never really hear about that that kind of structure just seems like well there's always just these there's tons of dothraki but that we we never mm -hmm. hear about um you know ones and like some of the great calls that ever existed and right things like that yeah they seem to just yeah, gain power. I don't really know how they come to be. I'm guessing that there are there are some situations where maybe a father um, of of 
you know, his his count like like of his Kalasar would yeah would live really old and then yeah would it would raise his son to kind of take his place. Um, but it's like, man, if they die in battle or something, then uh, all right, see ya. You're you're, you're yeah. Done. I would have to imagine that they can't be in power very long because it seems like they're always fighting each other. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know if there's like a an exact number on how many there are. I'll look that up and see if we have like a known number, maybe. You know? Yeah, because there's there's a there's a handful of Dothraki tribes that are roaming around all at once, and you know they talk about how they they run into each other, and you would think though that. I guess it's just their culture that somebody would try to use Vase Dothrak as a as a as a staging area and and learn at some point, you know, we need to kind of solidify power, but they just keep going on and on. And I wonder if it's just because of the nature of their of of their of their tribes that they they're always warring so they never really solidify power at some point. Because the wildlings who are in a similar situation are able to do that under Mance Raider. When we you know when you think about the hill tribes that Tyrion's with, they're so much smaller that it seems like they're never really going to kind of let's all band together and try and establish some kind of of army so we can kind of put ourselves in a better situation. But when you think about the the Dothraki and the wildlings, I mean you would imagine that would be kind of similar similar people, but that just doesn't necessarily seem to be the case. It seems certainly more that the wildlings are a little more i guess you could i don't want to say sophisticated but that's almost what it comes across as maybe it's just because of they have that leader of mance raider as opposed to the the there isn't really a a one solidified leader of the dothraki until danny essentially becomes that and and even before mance i mean it's like they would they still seem a little bit more uh i don't know have well they, they, they kill each other too there's certain tribes i mean you've got um up there with with the, the wild things and yeah are super scary and and kind of have no we don't really know what what governs them what what uh what guides them if you will besides some of this talk of old gods and and things but yeah it's uh it's different they're, they're different but there's there are some similarities i guess right yeah so and maybe it's just maybe it's maybe it's because of also their proximity so the wildlings still on some shape or form interact with the night's watch. And so they, they're still over on Westeros where you have Kings and, and Lords and things like that. Whereas Essos is, you know, they're free cities. They're just more trading ports. It's different. They don't have that kind of chivalry structure that, you know, that like medieval structure that we think about that the, that Westeros has. Right. Right. You know, here's something that's interesting, and I'll just, as we're thinking about this chapter, um, when Danny tries to command the other blood riders, they, she, she can't really do that. I mean, she does to some degree, but like, they're not, um, they won't allow themselves to be commanded by Khaleesi, typically. But the Kyle himself uh, will submit himself to the wisdom and the, the authority of like the Dash Kaleen, mm-hmm. you know, so they're in Vase Dothrak. But so that's kind of weird, right? I mean, so like mm-hmm. later on, Danny, if she were to go back there, uh, would have the ability to command uh, these other men from the sacred city. But right now, uh, no, like the, the blood riders, that's, that's, that's the struggle she has here is that they won't really listen to her and um, they fight her essentially. 
one of them anyways. Mm-hmm. So yeah. 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 Yeah, it is it is interesting when you when you start to look at their kind of political power power structure. Um so uh okay, well uh yeah, so yeah, you have lines here like it is not for a woman to bid us halt. Uh Kotho said, not even a Khaleesi. We camp here, Danny repeated. Hogo tell them that Cal Drogo commanded the halt. If they ask uh, if they ask, tell them my time is near, so and I could not continue. You do not command me, Khaleesi, Kotho says. And then she tells him to find Mary Mazder. Kotho uh glares down at her. Um, you know, the Magi, this I will not do. You will, or when Drogo wakes, you will hear that uh he will hear that you defied me. So there is still that fear of of Cal Drogo. Yeah. Um, regardless of whether he's he's kind of sick or not, that that people say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because right now their whole they're still trying to preserve him. He's still there's still life in him. Uh, so blood of my blood, they're still connected, trying to serve him, if you will, until he dies. Once he dies, then all hell breaks loose. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, later down, later down on that same page is where you have uh, some of Danny's uh, Danny's women saying. Uh, you know the Danny saying the cow cannot die. His father was a stallion. His he is the father of the stallion who mounts the world. His hair has never been cut. He still wears the bells his father gave him. Every time I'm going to keep pointing out these bells yeah. references, and then another one on the next page talking about his bells she laid aside carefully one by one. He would want them again when he was well. She told herself. So, yeah. Um, in the, I'm just, I'm still using these bells as, as, a, as trying to make reference for what we saw in season eight and make it make some sense because it is interesting now thinking about that, going back thinking about the bells and Danny and why there would be some sort of justification for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, so anyway, so Danny is demanding that Mira Mesder be brought forth so that she can make another poultice or whatever to help Cal Drogo. Uh, she ends up, she ends up coming. Coming forth, she also uh, wants Jorah brought forth as well, so that he can kind of help her through this situation. He kneels beside her. He looked at Drogo hard and says, "Send your uh, maids away." Wordlessly, her throat uh, tight with fear. Danny made a gesture. When they're alone, Sir Jorah uh, drew his dagger, and he um, let's see here. Uh, he draws his dagger and. Uh, definitely with a delicacy surprising in such a big man, he began to scrape away the black leaves and dried blue mud from Drogo's chest. The plaster had caked hard as the mud walls of the lamb men, and like those walls, it cracked easily. Sir Jorah mm. broke the dry mud with his knife, pried from the chunks, uh, pried the chunks from the flesh, peeled off the leaves one by one. A foul, sweet smell rose from the wound, so thick it almost choked her. The leaves were crusted with blood and pus. Drogo's black breast. Uh, breast black and glistening with corruption. Yeah. Yeah, they realized that uh, they hadn't been following the instructions. You know, when you go mm-hmm. get a little medical procedure, you got to listen to those doctor orders, right? You got to make sure you take your meds and, you know, change the, the wrappings and all that stuff. And I think what, what was the thing? I mean, he was drinking um, He was drinking something he shouldn't have been drinking, right? And, uh, yeah, milk mm-hmm. of the poppy, right? He was drinking that mm-hmm. uh, to kind of quell the pain. And then he had that the dressing later on we find that uh, Mira kind of realizes that's not the same dressing that she had put on. Mm-hmm. So this was sort of a softer heel, like kind of a, 
uh, it it, uh, it feels good right now, and it was and it helped him feel I think probably initially better. Uh, whereas like the dressing that she put on it was like fiery and hot and was pulling mm-hmm. out. It was painful, uh, but it mm-hmm. was it was doing its job. So really, my question is, what was she really? I mean, she was really helping him, right? If he would have followed her instructions, I think maybe she was actually doing what what was best for him. What do you think? Yeah, probably a little bit. Um, I would say I would say there's probably she. I mean. Because later, you know, she says, well, I don't care that I killed him because, you know, I don't and I don't care that he's he's dead because you ruined my life. So mm-hmm. who cares? But that seems to be in reference more to the ritual that she yeah. performs because she now finds herself. Oh, I can do blood magic and they'll let me do it. Yep. Um. So, yeah, I'm kind of with you. I mean, she probably does to some sense. Help him. Well, it makes me think that Cause, she's doing cause it initially to save her people, you know. Right. Well, she also probably wants to I mean, I still think that she would want to cause as much damage as possible, and so if she proves herself to be a good healer and heal Cal Drogo, then maybe she will be the one that gets to help Danny when Danny is giving birth cuz I mean, obviously Danny is mm-hmm. very like obviously pregnant, and so maybe that's her moment where she could do some other kind of you know, ceremony and cause Danny and probably the baby harm, but sure. it just ends up working in the other way where she ends up, you know, helping with that blood magic, kill, you know, the horse and the baby and make cow Drogo like a zombie. Yeah. 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 She, she, she takes advantage of Danny's not understanding. And really it's, I, I you, you wonder if the Dothraki, they warn her time and time and time again about this lady, but it's like, She's never seen anything like this, and I wonder if they have. I wonder if they've seen other people who have dealt in these arts, and they know, maybe not just rumors, but there there are people who deal um, in, in blood magic, and they know it's not good. They've seen the the death that comes with it or whatever, or the, or the cost that, that, mm. that is needed to be paid. So you almost wish you had a story like that. It probably would have persuaded Danny, though, not to go forward with this procedure. Right. Well, I think one of the... I think. I think from Danny's perspective, one of the things I like about this chapter, um, you skip down here a little bit where it says, so at, right after he's Jorah Mormon's kind of cutting into that into that wound a little bit in the in the dressing. Uh, no, Danny whispered as tears ran down her cheeks. No, please, God's hear me. No. A little bit further down than that, your cow is as good as dead, princess. Uh, she's like, you know, he can't die. He mustn't. It was only a cut. I will not let him die. Uh, so Jorah gives a bitter laugh. Khaleesi or queen, that, com- that command is beyond your power. Save your te- tears, child, weep them tomorrow or in a year from now. Uh, we must go and quickly before he dies. You know, she says, go. Where should we go? Ashai, I would say it lies far to the south at the end of the known world. Yet men say it is a great port. We will find a ship there to take us back to Pentos. Um, and then he talks about the blood riders. She says, Caldrogo commanded them to keep me safe. Uh, but if he dies, she touched the swell of her belly. I don't understand. Why should I flee? I am Khaleesi. I carry Drogo's heir. As I said earlier, Princess, hear me. The Dothraki would not follow a suckling babe. Drogo's strength was what they bowed to, and only that. Yeah. Um, but then he talks about he is Drogo's son, and the crones say he will be the stallion who mounts the world. It was prophesied better to kill the child than to risk uh, his fury when he grows into manhood. Um, 
And so again, it's it's just another one of the it's it, it's a growing chapter for Danny is she's she's beginning to realize it's not going to be as easy as you thought and there's certain sacrifices that she's going to have to make along along the way and and her path ultimately towards um getting the iron throne. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And this is one of, and this is one of them. Sure, sure. Yeah. It, isn't it interesting though that that the prophecy that this that her child would be the stallion that mounts the world and mm-hmm. that they kind of foresaw that and I don't know, sometimes with with prophecy it's sort of like if this is what's going to come to pass and then you're looking for it to happen, how can these blood riders think that they can you know stop that or put an end to that, I guess. Isn't that mm-hmm. sort of the whole idea that there's some there's there's more to uh, you know as as Yoda says, a prophecy misread maybe, <laughs> right? <laughs> um b- because it ends up being this whole crazy situation uh becomes a part of of how um as you say Danny grows and then how her dragons come to be. So it's mm-hmm. just interesting that the blood riders thought that they could put an end to this prophecy um by killing this babe and it's just it's more than that so well i just yeah i mean it's hard to say because on one hand you feel like they would really believe in and buy in 100 percent to this prophecy but at the second at the other hand it's like well if they're just going to kill that bait if they would just kill the baby because they don't want a rival then maybe they didn't find it as convincing as convincing yeah as, as they originally thought yeah maybe not um I mean, again, it'd be like saying, so, okay, uh, the Dashkalin, so they enjoy great, this great honor and, and status among the Dothraki, and they serve as seers, foretelling the future and interpreting omens. It's like, if Danny were to be one of them, what role would she play in that, right? I mean, so are they really seers? Are they really people who can, who can foretell the future? Or are they just, you know, just, just making stuff up? You know what I mean? Yeah. So. I don't know. Um, okay, well, uh, a little bit, a little bit further on here. Uh, Danny remembers the story that Viserys had told her of what the usurpers dog, usurpers dogs, had done to Rhaegar's children. His son has been a babe as well, yet they had ripped him from his mother's breast and dashed his head against the wall. And she starts to think of that. He, they must not hurt my son. I will order my cause to keep him safe. And Drogo's blood riders will. Sir Jorah steps in. Uh, a blood riders. A blood rider dies with his call. You know that, child. They will take you to Vase Dothrak, to the Crones. Uh, that is the last duty they owe him in life. When it is done, they will join Drogo in the Nightlands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Danny's, you know, thinking, well, no one's died yet, right? So we're good. <laughs> so let's mm-hmm. let's let's make this let's make this work. If he doesn't die, that's the whole key. So let's just save him, and we'll be fine. But he sees death on him. He sees that he fell off his horse. I mean, Jorah sees what Miramaz Jorah sees later, is that he has but maybe just a day, uh, less mm-hmm. than a day, to live. He'll be dead by morning. Yeah, yeah she's, Miramaz Jorah stru- studies Drogo, her face still and dead. The wound has festered. Uh, and then all of Danny's Dothraki are telling her this is completely all her fault, and Danny doesn't listen or believe it or, you know, want any. They, she just keeps buying in and buying in and buying in um you know they start they push they push her to the ground and start kicking her uh, kicks her to merciful for a magi take her outside we will uh, stake her to the earth 
to be the mount of every passing man. And when they're done with her, the dogs will use her as well. You know, weasels will tear out her entrails, you know, and on and on. I mean, there's talking about it. And Danny says, no, I will not have her armed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're all saying, like, no. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah, and that's where I go back to, I mean, maybe she did something that was initially hurt. Maybe the initial pain that she was, or the dressing she puts on, like unknown to everyone else there, is poisonous or is something that's going to cause, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's going to do harm. And then their healers try to come in and, um, you know, fix it, but it's too late, if you will, perhaps. Mm-hmm. So like, Or maybe she knew they wouldn't follow the instructions or she knew how they were going to react and, and knew that this was going to cause them some pain. I don't know, but it's... They definitely don't. They think it's her. They think she is the one who is who's caused this, and they keep calling her like this witch, this this magi, right? Um, and then you find out later on that she she doesn't really actually confess to it. She kind of does. Um, she says, you know, she almost says like, "Am I?" When Danny asks, you know, she because Danny will say later, uh, "Then you truly are a magi," and she says, "Am I?" <laughs> Question mark. Mm-hmm. And then she says, yeah. "Only a magi can save your writer now, so, Silver Lady." And it. She learns uh, um, just above that too. She explains where she learns some of her spells and stuff, and it's in the Shadowlands. And uh, her teacher was a, a blood mage from the Shadowlands. Uh, said that she had to pay dearly for this skill and stuff that she acquired. So you wonder what was the payment to learn this type of stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and right here, as, as you were saying, uh, you do not ask a slave. And she, no, Danny says, and now you must save him, Danny said. You do not ask a slave, Mary replied sharply. You tell her. Uh, she goes on here. He says, you know, she says he's beyond a healer's skills. Um, and she open, She starts to look him over a little bit. She says, I made him a poultice of fire pod and, uh, and, and sting me not or sting me uh, and, and bound it in lambskin. It burned, he said. He tore it off. The herb woman made him a new one, wet and soothing. She says, it burned. Yes, there is great healing magic in the in fire. Even you hairless men must know that. So, again, I do think that's interesting. Hey, she's from Ashai. She knows a little bit about fire magic. Uh, it's it's is it is it possible it's stuff from her lore and they just have different languages or different views of that? Yeah. Yeah, it could be. Could be. Um, that's the, that's the cool part about it. We just, we really don't know when you think of the, this big overarching sort of battle between Relore and the great other mm-hmm. and, and the connection between the, the two. It's Cause at this, at this point in the story, Relore has never been mentioned because mm-hmm. Relore, he doesn't, the Relore doesn't really show up until a clash of Kings. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we almost wonder like if, uh, in the writing process too, there, if George kind of had that in mind, uh, if knew that's where he was driving towards or you know wrote this book and then thought okay let me you know let's see what i can do to kind of i don't know i always mm-hmm. wonder wonder how much he had in his mind before he starts the first book like did he anticipate doing all these other things it's just mm-hmm. a, it's a, lot, a lot well i mean yeah at, at this point too think about it you know what we've seen from cold or you know ice has been death like we saw the white walkers very early on and then you know john's at the wall so we, we haven't really seen them again but you know they still kind of talk about them like what lies beyond the wall um and now we have a moment here where we're talking about fire and its healing properties so right yeah okay um okay so then danny is pleading with her save him and i will free you 
Uh, then Miramazdor sets back on her heels and studies Daenerys's through eyes as black as night. There is a spell. Um, her voice was quiet, scarcely more than a whisper, but it is hard, lady, uh, lady and dark. Some would say that death is cleaner. I have learned the way in a shy and paid dear for the lesson, as you said. My teacher was a blood mage from the Shadowlands. As uh, you are truly mage, as you had said, uh, am I? You know, only a mage can save your writer. Now, is there no other way? No other. Cal Drogo gave a shuddering uh, gasp. Do it, Danny blurted. She must not be afraid. She was the blood of the dragon. Save him. Now, there's a price. You will have gold, horses, whatever you like. It is not a matter of gold or horses. This is blood magic. Only death may pay for life. Um, you know, my death. She told herself she would die if she must. She was the blood of the dragon. She would not be afraid. Her brother, Rhaegar, had died for the woman he loved. Uh, no, Mira Mazda promised. Not your death, Khaleesi. And so I wonder if what and you know then, then bring his horse, Mira Master commanded, and so it was done. But I mean, really, uh, it's do you, do you think? I mean, that was that would would have been enough, just the, uh, the death of a horse for the death of to to save Cal Drogo. Well, and that's sort of what Danny says. She says later on she would pay this this price a thousand times over. Like, sure, if it's just a horse to save. Um, Cal Drogo, then sure, no problem. But mm-hmm. the other thing is, too, it's almost like an accident that she ends up kind of involved and pulled into all of this later on, right? I mean, that's this. We'll get to that at the, at the end of the chapter. It seems like that she wasn't supposed to be anywhere near that tent or, or what have you. But uh, yeah, I think it was just going to be the stallion. And I think from Mira's point of view, it's it's she knows what the end result is going to look like, and that he's going to mm-hmm. be this zombified, you know, uh, guy, if you will. But mm-hmm. uh, and and you're taking the the blood or the the life from the stallion, and you're using that to do some patchwork here on Cal Drogo. But really, any other living thing that that is within the like the 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 radius or whatever of that of that spell is going to like some of its life force. I feel like is going to be drawn on. So that's what I think is scary at the end of this chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, as we go down in here a little bit, we need uh, we need the we need the blood. The you know Mary Mary answers that it's the only way. Um, then Danny uh, Joke uh, Joko edged back, his hand on his arc. He was a youth of sixteen, whip thin, fearless, quick to laugh, with the faint shadow of his first uh, mustachio on his upper lip. Uh, Khaleesi, you must not do this. Let me kill the magi. Kill her, and you kill your cow. Danny says this is blood magic. It is forbidden. I am Khaleesi, and I say it is not forbidden. In Vase Dothrak, Khal Drogo slew a stallion, and I ate his heart. He gave our son strength and courage. This is the same. So she does, Danny, I will say, of the of of making rationalization for this, this is actually one point she makes, and I think it is it is pretty justified. It is similar to what she did there. What do you mean? I mean, in in terms of like the idea of blood magic, they're saying blood magic is for, forbidden. But she did eat the stallion of a heart in in the in the in the idea that it would give her son. Oh yeah, sure. Or yeah. the heart of a stallion, I should say. Um, in, yeah. In, right to give her her unborn strength. son strength. Yep. I mean that sounds like magic to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she's wondering what's the difference, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I think in terms of justifying it to the. The, the people around her who all want to kill Mary Mazda, I think that's a pretty good valid point on Danny's part. You know, something I didn't even think about and I didn't, until you said that uh, is 
their stallions are like they worship the horse lord mm-hmm. god you know so it's like that would be i mean killing the the stallion to save caldrogo is sort of uh you almost wonder how they looked at that if that was a really even worse thing to do mm-hmm. would be to kill his horse so because of how much they worship and and uh follow you know the horse lord in their in their faith i just interesting because they yeah, choose so, a stallion's heart for her to eat so yeah absolutely um so okay so they start to get it they start to get it set up essentially uh they have to bring in the horse they talk about how the horse is struggling because it smells death and then they have to hold it down and and kill it um you know when the, when they let the stallion fall a bath was dark red and nothing showed of drogo but his face Marie Mazder had no use for the carcass. Burn it, Danny told them. It was what they did. She knew when a man died, his mount was killed and placed beneath him on the funeral pyre to carry him into the nightlands. The men of her cause uh, dragged the carcass from the tent. The blood had gone everywhere. Uh, that's essentially, then she's talking about there's just red everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. braziers were lit. Mary Mazder tossed a red powder onto the coals. It gave a smoke, a, the smoke a spicy scent, a pleasant enough smell. Um, People, it talks about people are are, so, are sobbing. Danny says, "I will stay here," and they're saying, "You know, you should probably you should probably leave." <laughs> yeah. And she says, "She says, <laughs> she says, no one will enter." She bent over the tub. Even Drogo, in, uh, in his bath of blood, she kissed him lightly on the brow. Bring him back to me, she whispered to Mary Master before she fled. Hmm. Yeah, Man. and then and then right around and then right around this time, as this as this um ceremony is is taking is taking place you know more people are trying to step in and uh stop it and then this is where jorah mormont gets into a a battle with mm-hmm. some of cal drogo's uh some of cal drogo's men and he ends up uh killing a few of them yeah yeah kotho right he, he shows up mm-hmm. and is like super pissed i mean they brought back the eunuchs right didn't they bring back um other yep. healers and we're trying to intervene and what have you and and it's like he's he's really i mean to in, in his defense he's just trying to do what he thinks is best for cal drogo and mm-hmm. he doesn't want any of this blood magic going on was against her doing the healing to begin with so yeah 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 and i mean and then what happens is you know you have yeah you have this this battle here between uh jorah mormont who is no slouch and kotho who is a boss everyone yeah. take two drinks yep. and uh yep. <laughs> and um, just uh for those of you guys who don't listen in the facebook group there's a big conversation right now going on about the the drinking game we've been trying to put together and everyone's yeah. kind of piecing it together and it's anytime we say things like that that we i guess say it quite often yeah so Anytime we mention yes. Lord Adam, Bar- <laughs> Lord Adam, Bar- yeah, Bar- any, any, you have any, to finish of your drink, <laughs> yeah, yeah, finish, finish those, those drinks. Jeez, oh, so. um, funny. Okay, so all right, so that battle begins. You know, you die now. He promised uh, Arak shivering through the red twilight, uh, and then as this is going on, as as they're beginning to fight, Danny is feeling uh, you know, her son kicking in in inside, and so that's essentially how this chapter ends. Is that Danny uh, goes into labor as all of this is going on. Jorah Mormont's uh, yep. fighting. Cal Drogo, is, the ceremony is being performed by Mary Mazder. This blood magic and Danny's starting to go into labor. Yep. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, Jorah ends up winning that fight, which is, I mean, it's, the only reason he does is because that it gets um, Kothos, uh, what is it? The 
the Arak the arc. gets yeah, like mm-hmm. gets stuck in his or hip. Eric, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> gets stuck in his hip. So he has a mm-hmm. moment to cut him down and he, it's pretty pretty radical. He cuts him up pretty pretty good. Right, um, which is actually it's cool because it references back to um you know we see it in the show too where uh, where Jorah's talking about the plate, you know, versus the the different types of armor and and uh-huh. things like that yeah. and yeah. Right, right. Yep. So I mean there's there's all that going on and then right at the end they're realizing as you said she's going into labor and uh they they want to take her to some of the uh, women, like the handmaidens, want to take her to the birthing women, but they'll have nothing to do with Danny because they think she's cursed. They think she is mm-hmm. kind of bringing all of this um, evil on them, and so they will have nothing to do with her. So they realize that Miriam Asdur has said that uh, she knows how to handle um, a labor or you know birth a baby. So here we go. They're going to go into the tent. Mm-hmm. which is nuts yeah yeah so uh and that's essentially how this how this chapter ends is uh really setting the stage for for danny's i think i think she has two chapters left in this uh in 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 this book but yeah things are not looking good for daenerys right now yeah so let me ask you a question i mean if if uh sir jorah doesn't carry her into the tent there at the end like whole different story or what does she does the i don't know i yeah, I I don't I don't know. I think Mir Mazder is performing all kinds of weird magic in there because, you know, what we see, you know, Melisandra is able to do blood magic that affects people way far away from where where she's at. Right. You know, mm-hmm. with like the leech with like the leeches, uh, you know, and they name they name the 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 kings that they want they want to die and i mean Balan Greyjoy is nowhere close to Malin or to Melisandre. Joffrey's not really close to where Melisandre is. I mean she then goes and plays a, a part specifically in killing Renly Baratheon, but um you know the, the so it's it's hard to say exactly. Sure. sure. It just all comes down to what her intent was. Was she trying to um actually take Danny's baby or did this happen you know, um, like like as an accident, she's given them you know specific instructions not to come in. She gave them specific instructions not to change that dressing and not to drink you know other potions and things that would help with the healing. So there, people are disobeying what she's saying to do. So it's it's hard, it muddles it. It makes it all muddled. Um, something real interesting too at the end there. She does glimpse the shadow of a great wolf. And another, like a man wreathed in flames. So that, that mm. was kind of cool. Uh, when she looks in the tent, she's seeing these other, you know, creatures or the undead. Who knows what she's really seeing there, but it looks like a shape of a great wolf. And uh, I think they even show that in the, sh- in, that's a part of the show too. Like when they look at the tent, you'll see mm-hmm. what looks like a wolf uh, dancing around and then another man who's covered in, in flames. So crazy. Crazy stuff. Don't mess with blood, blood magic, guys. That's a lesson of the day. Like, seriously, don't do it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, yeah. Don't trust blood magic. I mean, I think I think that's that's that that's our that's our PSA here. Yep. Uh, on Ben the Knee this week. You know, remember those old cartoons used to have PSAs at the end where they'd be like, you know, yeah. don't 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 smoke cigarettes or right. Don't do drugs. Yeah. Don't trust blood magic. Yep. I think that I think that's good advice for us all. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So. Lord, okay. Okay, um, well, um, 
Should we move on over to a few Ravens that we have, Sir Ezra? Yeah, absolutely. So we have uh, Sir David here uh, coming up first. Sir David of House Frazier says to us, uh, Good day, Sir Matt and Sir Ezra. I wanted to take a few minutes to thank you for always putting together an, um, uh, an amazing podcast. It has quickly turned into my favorite podcast that I listen to on a daily basis. Sweet. Okay. Uh, I came across your podcast right before Season 8 began. I wanted to see what everyone else was thinking about the upcoming season and what predictions everyone had. Uh, I started out as a show-heavy fan when Season 4 came. Uh, I had surgery, uh, to have my gallbladder removed, and a longtime friend suggested I watch Game of Thrones while I was recovering. Uh, I remember watching the first few episodes and thinking how awesome Eddard Stark was, like most people, and thinking he was going to be a major character throughout the series. Ooh, um, yeah. yeah. So I did I. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I eventually fell asleep due to uh, painkillers, uh, waking up to see him being executed and thinking, oh. what the hell happened while I was asleep? Oh, um, no. Well, um, I was immediately hooked. Eventually, um, I started reading into the wiki and fan-based articles, getting a lot of information that was based on the books. Sadly, I never pushed myself to find the time to read the books until now. Uh, it's my personal opinion uh, that your show is a perfect uh, transition from show to book and book to show. Cool. Okay. Thank you. Uh, after the show ended, I became determined to read the books finally. And it's awesome having the Read Along podcast to help point out key elements in each chapter that I might have overlooked as a first-time reader. Currently, uh, I work for a delivery company. Uh, hint, think of me as a year-round uh, Santa that drives a big brown truck. Okay. Uh, I work almost 12 hours a day, so I can usually squeeze in a couple episodes uh, a day. Right now, I'm about uh, two-thirds of the way through. Game of Thrones and Fire and Blood. Uh, I can't say if I have a favorite house in the world of Ice and Fire, but as a former Special Forces soldier, I enjoy hearing about great warriors like Sir Arthur Dane and Sir Barristan Selmy. Yeah, yes. let's go. I bet Sir David does. <laughs> um, unfortunately, due to the long hours and being a single father, it can be hard for me to be involved in the community post, But uh, and I feel like my knowledge isn't that extensive just yet. I have no theories that haven't been addressed at some point on the podcast. The only co contribution I can provide is through Patreon. Um, keep up the amazing work, Sir Matt and Sir Ezra, and everyone else involved in putting together an amazing show, Sir David. Well, you know, I, well, we have a PS here. PS, I'm listening to a podcast from last year when you guys talked about soccer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I have played for almost 30 years. Um, some of that time was in Europe, so if you guys ever have any questions about the sport, let me know. Well, we're still trying to figure out which team to support. Mm -hmm. I think that's been a bit Well, hey, it's it's easy when I can just support the USA women's team, okay? And, yeah, that's easy. Yeah, you know, Meg, that's nice. Megan, old Meg out there just, you know, light, lighten people up. Light so. it up. Yeah, so I was always all about that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I bet, you know, being a part of this, you know, a member of the Special Forces that Sir David would, you know, it's it's like you know, would be drawn to Sir Arthur Dane and Sir Barristan Selmy because that is the special forces of of Westeros, right? I mean, nobody mm -hmm. messes with those guys. You can send in one Sir Barristan Selmy and, and he saves and he saves the Mad King. No big deal. So yeah, that's really cool. Well, man. That's awesome. I mean, I don't know, man. I mean Barristan Selmy was at the Battle of the Triton and that didn't seem to help. Uh, well, you know, it's because a horse fell on him. Okay. Obviously I think Barristan Selmy is the best. So yeah, yeah you know. there is he had unforeseen 
circumstance. And we all know that he let Rhaegar win at the battle, you know, during the tourney of Heron Hall because yeah, yeah. he says if I had been a better knight. Right. Uh, you know, hey, something we talked about a lot in that in that most recent Patreon episode. Uh, so go make sure to check that out because uh, it's it's really, really, really good. But uh, yeah, it is just something interesting to think about when we when Serezer and I go back and forth on who's better, Arthur Dane or Bears and Selmy quite often. But yeah, yeah, it's a good conversation to have. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, OK, well, we got another one here from Lady Martha of House Gerson. Hey, guys, I really enjoyed the podcast and gave it a five star review, which is well deserved. Thank you very much. Those are super, super huge helps. Um, I was just a show watcher, but decided to start the audiobooks and join the reread. However, I also wanted to see what the order of the prequel books is. I've heard you mention the Duncan Egg series. Is that right before A Song of Ice and Fire, or is there one before? Where do I begin? Okay, so I think this is a good uh, this yeah this is this is a good time to talk about that. So this is essentially the I'll provide kind of the extensive guide. So you have. The World of Ice and Fire book, which is essentially a history book um, told through us by uh, maesters who are writing this history. And it covers all the way from as early as possible, essentially, up to the the Robert Robert Baratheon becoming king. It's really, really good. You can buy it on Amazon for like 30 bucks. Um, the audiobook is 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 okay, but I think really owning the big book of that is is one that I would recommend because it's kind of like a coffee table book and the artwork in it is amazing. Um, I own both the, actually I own three versions of it. I own the original, uh, the audio book, and the I have a the the ebook version. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, if you only had to get one, I myself being an audiobook person. I still would argue getting the big physical book is really good because it's also not like it's got this almost kind of uh, like foam, y- yeah. you know, Serezer. It, it's it's like a different. I don't the cover. It's it's like it's a really nice cover. It's not like one that's gonna, you know. Sometimes hard hardcover books, you know, they start to get those crinkled in the edges and stuff like that. Like you know, if you ever if you ever use like think about like textbooks you had in high school or college. Um, this one's got this different, really well cover so i definitely recommend getting that um then you have the then you have fire and blood which is the newer kind of history book um fire and blood covers aegon's conquest up until uh where does it end it ends right after the dance with dragons right yep Yep, it's just like a, a king or so after, yeah. Yeah, and so Fire and Blood, I will say, I had a difficult time getting through because I just found it to be quite dry. Um, I it, it, It's good, but some of the information is kind of rehashed information. I think you and I both said that the Aegon's Conquest chapter is literally word for word the same thing that's in A World of Ice and Fire. So yeah. I... Yeah, I consider it almost uh, a companion to kind of World of Ice and Fire. I think that if I had to choose between the two, I would definitely choose a World of Ice and Fire. But if you really want the full picture, it'd be okay to get it as well because it really it really breaks down a lot of King Jaehaerys, who World of Ice and Fire is like spends two pages on. Yeah. So can I jump in here for a sec? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So I. The way I would do it is when you get that World of Ice and Fire book, you read about 
the Dawn Age, the Age of Heroes, the the Long Night, all of that stuff, the ancient histories, if you will, which is the first several chapters. And then when they get to a character known as Aegon the Conqueror, you could almost switch over and mm-hmm. read Fire and Blood if you wanted to deep dive into um, the Targaryen legacy. Because they spend, from that point forward, it's just they follow right through all of the Targaryen kings uh, all the way up until the uh, the Mad King, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they go, they go that far. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and Robert's Rebellion. So you could go all the way through Fire and Blood. Well, right now, there's only Volume 1. Eventually, Volume 2 will come out. So Fire and Blood, you really could use that for about half of the 300-year Targaryen reign, so 150 years into it. And then you could go back to A World of Ice and Fire and keep reading the rest of the history. And that mm-hmm. would be would be decent. So yeah. I think that's the other yeah the 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 other advantage Fire and Blood has is so we still haven't gotten to Duncan Egan in the main series yet, but we're we're getting close. So then you start to get into the novellas, which are a handful of kind of short stories. They're not really books, but they're they're almost short stories that expand even further on specific characters. So you have. The Sons of the Dragon, which is a story about, um, God, now I'm blanking. I'm blanking on their uh, their names. Um, the, the, the second two kings, Ma- Aenys, Ma- yeah, Megor, yep, yeah, yeah, uh, Megor the Cruel and Aenys Targaryen, who are Aegon the Conqueror's sons. So you can find those individually. There's there's then there's one called the Rogue Prince, which is about Daemon Targaryen. Uh, one about the the Blacks and the Greens which is uh, more of the Dance of the Dragons. But some of that stuff is actually pretty much just collected in Fire and Blood. So it is kind of cool that you get that. Um, the Sons of the Dragon, word for word, is in Fire and Blood. So that is where you kind of get that advantage. And I would imagine that you may get more of that in Fire and Blood Part 2 or or something. But they're kind of difficult to track down on their own. I think you had to buy a book called The Book of Swords, which is just kind of this collection of a bunch of fantasy authors' tales about swords and mm-hmm. things, and that's where The Sons of the Dragon is. And so that's kind of confusing. So that's one area where I will say Fire and Blood is I, I like it. Yeah, so you don't have to track all those novellas down. You just go there, and, and he's, he's, mm-hmm. he's recycled all the novella stuff into Fire and Blood. So yeah, right. So that's that's that. pretty that yeah. So that's pretty cool. So then you get to the Duncan Egg series. So the Duncan Egg series is right now three stories that should eventually be seven stories, and it is the Hedge Knight, the Sworn Sword, and the Mystery Knight. So again, you could find those individually, or you can go buy. Uh, a book called A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms, which is those three stories combined. Uh, the I have I have that I have the hardcover and what I think is the infinitely superior audiobook. The audiobook of that I cannot stress enough. Um, we reference it all the time because it is simply that good. It's voiced by Harry Lloyd, who plays uh, Viserys Targaryen. Mm-hmm. And I think it's easily the best voice acted books in anything that any any Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire stuff. Even better than Roy Detrice in the in 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 the books in the main series books. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 amazing. So that's um, 
that's something we 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 brag about all the time. But just such a cool little thing. But it's uh it's really narrow in scope. It's so the other things we've mentioned are real broad strokes, kind of covering all the mm-hmm. histories and characters and things, and telling you an overview of history. Versus that just follows uh, Sir Duncan the Tall and uh, yeah. an egg. And Egg, who becomes Egg on the Fifth Targaryen. And it's all told through Dunk's, Sir Duncan the Tall's perspective. So it's all one, they're just three POV um, little mini books. Yeah. Yep. Um, also, I will say there are graphic novel versions of those, and they're all really good as well. Uh, like I found, I found one of them at a used bookstore for like seven bucks. So that takes place about a hundred years before the first game, of, uh, first Song of Ice and Fire book, A Game of Thrones. So that takes place about a hundred years before that. And so some of the characters that appear in that, um, you know, are referenced or are characters that actually are just really old. Like, you know, like it's Dunk talks about his brother who is going to be, or Egg, excuse me, talks about his brother who's becoming a maester. Well, that's Maester Aemon. Mm-hmm. And and I think even Walter Frey they meant they talk about they yeah, mention at some point a, a, yeah. a little a young Walter Frey so um, it's also it's re- the thing we the thing I like about it and we've talked about it before it's just written kind of differently than the main series it's a little more loose it's a little more fun um, mm-hmm. I almost feel like I wouldn't say it's necessarily a kids book but I. Th- but it it just it has that kind of feel compared to a Game of Thrones where you know anybody can die at any moment and you know you're dealing with like dragons and all of this stuff. It just it's just a kind of a looser, uh, a a looser feel. So then you get into the the books, the regular books series which we're in. So you have a Game of Thrones which is mostly season one if you're just coming from the show, a Clash of Kings which is seasons two and three. And then it, you have a Storm of Swords, which is like season four. And then it kind of gets a little tricky because I could you have book four and book five, which is a feast for crows and a dance with dragons. But the tricky thing about it is some of those events are happening at the same time. And there's actually guides on the internet. And Sirzer, I think you've you've looked it up is it it's called like I, i've seen i've seen it i've seen two titles for it some people have called it boiled leather and other people mm-hmm. have called it a feast for dragons is that correct uh yeah, if, yeah yes there's just to go through um yeah to make sure that they're they're kind of paired up uh, like and go in like a chronological order if you want like the, mm-hmm. the timeline yes yeah a, a feast a feast with dragons is the combined read of of a feast for crows and um, a dance with dragons. So it's something that right. a couple got a couple guys, uh, a couple of our red. I think, I think they're all, actually another mm-hmm. group of podcasters. But it's really cool. It's a, it's a good little uh, companion for the for the books. Yeah, because you were yeah. So I mean, you could read them individually, but it's just some characters only appear in one book, and some characters only appear in two. I think originally the plan was the book was it was there's going to be the fourth book, and the publishers told George R. R. Martin this is way too big. And so he had to split it up into two books. And I think I know, Sarah, you were telling me that you had started doing the read that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, it just makes so much more sense. Yeah, it's it's really cool. It's 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 honestly I would totally recommend it. And I got to give full credit here, too. So it's Andrew Walker, Brendan B. Fish, Hannah Hosking and Zach. Uh, Zach Louis. I think mm-hmm. who who came up with this and you know there's other versions out there this is just their version and I thought it was pretty cool and and as I'm reading through it I'm like wow it's actually 
pretty amazing the connection that that they're that they're making. They're almost like you read prologue one, then you read prologue one for so you read prologue uh, for a feast uh, for crows, and then you read the prologue for a dance of dragons. And I'm amazed at how just reading those back to back shocked me. Just in in just that first setup, just reading the prologues, and then to go from John to the prophet. And it's just it's just crazy how they take you back and forth. Like you might read two chapters of A Dance of Dragons, and then you might read three chapters in A Feast for Crows, and then you're back. And so it's kind of hard to keep track of, but it's mm-hmm. fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, but because because uh, just because you, you, I think you, what you were telling me when you were you were doing that some of that read was you're like it just it makes it just seems to make more sense because some of the events it's like they're happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, both books are kind of happening at the same time. Yeah, so for example, like you pick up something on in one of the prologues that happens in that happens in another book, like you'd almost have to wait a whole book later to make to tie the connection between um yeah, I don't want to give any it's I'd have to go do it's it's when Bran's going up and he's going up to the cave and he comes across a pack of wolves. And mm-hmm. there's this tie back into um the prologue. So it's just the way that they order the chapters, it puts them closer together. So you, I hadn't forgot about what ha, what I had just read when I read about that new that pack of wolves that shows up that um, uh, that they encounter that Mira and everyone encounters, and then Cold Hands kind of leaves and does his thing. It's uh, it was still there, fresh in my mind, if you will. So if, if I would have read it just in the book, it, it I would almost been like a book away from from what I had just experienced. So it was just really. Mm-hmm. Really neat, I guess. Well, it's like what we, it's like what we were talking about earlier today when we were talking about Danny chapters and how in this book alone you go through a period of ten chapters where you don't even talk about Daenerys. Yeah. Yes. And That's so it's just think. as as the story gets bigger and gets and gets more spread out, yeah, you kind of forget kind of what's happening with people, and I think that's why I think a, I think most people will argue the worst book in the series is A Feast for Crows. I think that's and then some people hate Dance of Dragons. Some people love it. Some people argue it's the best book. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I'm actually interested to do that read of and and do it do it that way and see if it it, it makes more sense. So yeah. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, that's kind of like the comprehensive guide of of the books. Anything outside of that, there's there are graphic novels of like the main Game of Thrones books. They're still being put together. They're okay. I certainly think that the Duncan Egg ones are are much better. Uh there's then there's other companion kind of stuff. There's like the Atlas of of Ice and Fire, which Sir Ezra has, and it's just a bunch of maps and it's uh it's it's really it's really well put together. Um really nice uh, there was one other thing I was thinking about that I was going to recommend in the for some kind of cool lore stuff. I would actually recommend just going on YouTube, but in the in the DVD and Blu-ray releases of the show, they do cool little history backgrounds. Yeah, and they're told through us by the characters. So. Uh, Jamie Lannister, uh, Nikolai, whatever his last name is, I don't, it, um, you know, is is reading this kind of history, but he's he's you know it's it's Jamie Lannister is telling it, so you almost get kind of their perspective on these historical events that they don't really ever touch in the show. They just don't really have the time to, but that it is it's just kind of cool to go check some of those out on on YouTube. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're, or they're, if you own, or fun. if you own the, if you own the Blu-rays. So, yeah. So that's kind of like the comprehensive guide of here's kind of all the places to look, and then I would kind of, I would kind of go through in terms of really expanding from the show. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So that's a great question. And uh, yeah, yeah. If anybody has more, you know, detailed questions, because it does get a little muddled when you, if you go back to, like, how do you read the Dunkin' Egg series and then compare it to a World of Ice and Fire? It's just sort of like at one point. They're- they're different, yeah. Yeah, well, at one point, World of Ice and Fire breaks off and goes into regions, you know? So it's like there's a whole another second half to that book that's all just dedicated to the history of each region, which goes into mm-hmm. more, more detail there. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, so great question. Um, something I think it's it's good for us to kind of bring up every every now and then. Uh, it's just so we always have new people jumping in at any point in this podcast. So uh, I think kind of a, a good place. So, yeah. All, All right. right, cool. Um, so real quickly before we uh, head out of here on just in Man the Wall, uh, we've mentioned it, the Patreon series, the Tourney at Heron Hall series, and the plug I'll make for that is if you've ever wondered why the Night of the Laughing Tree, you know, who the Night of the Laughing Tree is, if you've, if you've pondered that and you, you've, you've wondered, like, which character is it? Are we supposed to know? Whatever. Um, come take a listen to this month's Patreon mm-hmm. episode because we discuss maybe why it doesn't matter. Yeah, that was actually a really interesting, super interesting theory um, in talking about, because I think we have always thought, oh, it's such a big deal. It's such a big deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, this this theory we've, we've been breaking down, um, you know, this guy's like, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. So if you want to know why. <laughs> like, Whoa. Okay. Then, then all right, man. Yeah. yeah it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I still so. think it matters, but it's, it's, I do too. it's interesting the, the route that he took this. So. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, guys, uh, it's time to say farewell. We want to thank you for playing the Game of Thrones. In our next episode, we will be discussing Chapter 65, Aria 5. If you like our podcast, don't forget to subscribe, like us, read a review, leave a comment, or send us a raven at btkcast at gmail.com. We will see you in a week, and remember that winter is coming. And Sir Ezra only has to sit through two more Danny chapters this book. Thank God. Ha <laughs>